0: Right now, we're officially in the year of 2022. According to a lot more political scientists or experts in the international relations, and they believe the year of 2022 for international communities, and also down the road, five years ahead of us, China is going to make some major big moves, not only domestically, but also internationally. But meanwhile, if you follow the news lately, let's put on China on the side. Top U.S. and Russian diplomats said they had constructive talks lately in Geneva, but they did not achieve a breakthrough in their attempt to defuse tensions regarding the Russian troop buildup on the Ukraine-Russian border. The head of the U.S. delegation, Deputy Secretary State Wendy Sherman said in a separate briefing that I quote, one country cannot change the borders of another's by force, end quote. So that's why right now in this episode, I think it's so critical to understand now, not only this bilateral relations between Russia and Ukraine, and again, any minute the conflict could happen. But meanwhile, let's bring China back into this picture. How should we understand this trilateral relations and also including the US today? So that's why I can't find a better person than analyzing and explaining more to us than our old friend, Andy. Andy Timchenko of the Ukrainian Institute of Politics joined our show this time. And he's an expert in political analysis. And he's responsible for performing various kinds of research in the fields of sociology, geopolitics, psychology, statistics, etc. Andy, welcome back to the Amazing Piece.
1: Thank you for having me. Well, happy to see you.
0: Absolutely. Happy New Year, my brother. Now, again, when I invite you on the show, I guess this is not really a a light or easy topic that for us to understand. And as I mentioned in the intro, right now the tension between Russia and Ukraine it's it's not only the word intensive but also, it's a very yeah. sensitive. But before we discuss this matter, I want you to help us to understand. Andy, from your perspective, how would you describe the personality or even the characteristics of Vladimir Putin at this moment? Well,
1: like, if, if it's... Observed the, the the story, the history of Russia for for the previous 20 years, since uh, the time when uh, President Vladimir Putin came to power in 1999. Well, he's as you remember, he's a, a secret service officer in the, uh, in the past. So uh, his kind of personality is is very silent,
2: mm. very
1: careful, very diplomatic, but. At the same time he's very decisive Mm -hmm. when it comes to use uh, the the force he's ready to do that and uh, in in this light like uh, i would take the words of the russian diplomacy very seriously so as i said when the rhetoric of russian diplomacy became so tough like within the like in december um, i would take it very seriously and uh, as i said before like uh, based on my analysis of the current situation in, in uh, U.S. foreign policy and overall condition of American society, the West and the United States are not ready to step in to protect Ukraine against Russian potential invasion. Because right now, unfortunately, we have to bring this up so that there is indeed a risk of a full-scale military invasion of Russia and Ukraine. and the West, NATO, and the United States are not likely to help.
0: Well, Andy, again, let's go back to what you said before. And I quote you just said, if if we should take Russians' attitude seriously, and then my following question is, why is Vladimir Putin doing this? And he knew clearly that, again, I agree with what you said. At this moment, U.S. foreign policy has failed drastically, okay? So in other words, U.S. has not taken any positive uh, uh, initiatives towards any international crisis given the condition, domestically speaking, COVID-19, unemployment rate, the approval rating of Joe Biden, again, not nothing seems so positive for the U.S. So U.S. is not going to do any so anything to help this major issue. So does that mean that provide a leeway for Russia to take advantage of this opportunity in order to make the message clear to the world?
1: Mm, I would say, like if if you remember the theory of geopolitics by John McKinger, if mm. you remember, like one. One century ago, he drew a map of the world where he drew so-called heartland, which is Russia,
2: Mm. and
1: so-called sea power, which is the United States and the United Kingdom. I'm afraid that this uh, tension between Russia and the West is inevitable. So, like, the West enjoyed some decade of, uh, we call it a unipolar world. After dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, uh, United States enjoyed a true hegemony, a true dominance in the in the geopolitics, and the first sign that Russia is going to recover and going back to the you know to the world stage was the 2007 speech in the German city of Munich. If mm. you remember, but mm. uh, like many experts in my country, is like Mark, this speech in back in 2007 when. Then President Vladimir Putin warned the United States, well, like he put it very diplomat- mm. diplomatically. But it was clear to the public what he was saying that he's back in, I, I, I want to underline this, emphasize this, that back in 2007, Vladimir Putin had already warned the West that they had to stop, you know, just spreading NATO all over the place, you know to include new member states more and more and more like, uh, as I said, back in 2007. Yeah, it was already clear that Russia is strongly against it. And I want to remind you that there was a uh, military conflict in Georgia. I'm, I'm not, I'm talking not about Georgia as a
0: the yeah, state, right? We're Georgia talking about as, the country, right? Yeah, as a country,
1: yeah, as a country, like not far away from Ukraine. And there was a five-day military aggression of Russia against Georgia uh, right during the Olympic Games in Beijing, by the way. it was uh, Olympic Games in Beijing in 2008. Right. And there was a military aggression of Russia against Georgia right in the middle of the Olympic Games in 2008. So that was already a sign. It was 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. It was already clear that Russia would fight, would stand uh, hard on preventing the West from you know, expanding NATO in the Eastern Europe. It was already clear back then.
2: Mm. So uh,
1: what is going on right now in Ukraine in 2022 is not a surprise.
2: Mm. It's just a,
1: a, 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 an axis of this confrontation, which is inevitable between Russia and the West, as I said, like my, there are lots of theories of geopolitics. But I, personally, I prefer John McKinder and his like world map where uh, Iran and Russia belong to the so-called heartland. And United Kingdom, uh, uh, Australia, the United States belong to the so-called sea power. Mm. And the, they are eternal enemies, to, to put it this way. So as I said, like started from 2007 speech in Munich, and then continuing the uh, 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 military aggression in Georgia in 2008. We just see that how this trend goes on, of of Russia trying to stop NATO or the United States from expanding their influence in Eastern Europe. So as I like said before. What we see right now in Ukraine and around Ukraine is not a surprise. Mm. It was predictable, and it was inevitable. Uh, The the only problem right now is how we're going to sort this out. Right. Because um, Ukraine is going to be, I'm I'm afraid to say this, Ukraine is going to be the battlefield. Mm. Ukrainians are going to be those who are going to get most casualties, small most most suffering etc cetera, etc cetera. I'm afraid to say that
0: well Andy before we get to what would happen if the war takes place okay so before we get to that not too long ago I finished reading a book again it was talking about some of the major uh, uh, events happened in World War II. And I distinctively remember one sentence that the author put was, when Winston Churchill was the Prime Minister of Great Britain, when everyone was trying to underestimate the power of Germany, which led by Adolf Hitler, Winston Churchill came out in a speech, he said, again, I'm paraphrasing it, "If if, if we underestimate the power of Germany as if we were scratching the head of a crocodile and expect the crocodile to purr. You know, come to this moment, and I think it's more fitting to describe Russia this way as well. Because normally, if you said Vladimir Putin was a quiet person, you know, normally we don't see a lot more reactions, or we don't see a lot more excited uh, uh, characteristics coming out of the, uh, out of this person. Now, at this moment, I think the U.S. is fumbling with a wrong person or it's fumbling with the wrong game. So in other words, it's kind of scratching the head of a crocodile and expect the crocodile to purr. Would you agree with me on that?
1: Yeah, and as I said, um, when we talk about personality of Vladimir Putin, let me bring bring up uh, personality of Biden. Mm. Like, I don't want to insult anybody, but like, he's a very old person. Right. Like, and I I was reflecting on that, that in his mind, he's still in Cold War. Mm. Like, it's still like, you know, there was a funny thing when uh, uh, a Secretary of Defense of the United States uh, mm, had a visit in Ukraine. Like, he gave away, like, he said Soviet Union instead of Russia. Like, he said, like, quote, like, we will prevent the invasion of the Soviet Union in Ukraine. So, like, in their minds in the minds of the US government they still like live in the in the re- reality of cold war when it was soviet union for but like 30 years that look, we we don't have soviet union anymore for 30 years but back in their minds they like they are i mean the US government they are stuck in the past mm. they're not moving forward mm. and uh, and even in even worse, that they are stuck probably in 2001, mm. when, if you remember, uh, United States could afford invading Afghanistan, or two years later in 2003, United States could afford invading in Iraq. They were so strong, right. so powerful, and United States knew that nobody could confront them. Right. Like, if you remember the invasion of Iraq, nobody, right. nobody opposed. Like, remember. Uh, Germany and France they were like you know uh, they were neutral so, mm. so they I don't remember if they supported the uh, the US invasion of Iraq but they didn't oppose it to harshly you know so and i'm afraid that yeah US government they're stuck in cold war or at least they're stuck in in the reality of uh 2001 or 20 like 20 years have passed and mm. like, uh, today's reality is different.
2: Mm. Uh, Russia
1: grew stronger. Uh, you can, like say whatever you want. Like, uh, you know, uh, when, when former politician, John McCain once called Russia, a gas station, you know, mm-hmm. like Russia is rich of oil and like he tried to sort of, uh, um, yeah. taunt Russia, like say, oh, like you just have oil and nothing else. Uh, the reality is different. Like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, like uh, Russia has only oil, but it, it was still enough to uh, fund the new arms, new inventions, new, new tanks, new aircraft, new missiles, everything. Mm. So now, like, I heard that in quite many, although I'm not a military expert, but I heard that in many, many of the, fields of military equipment. Russia is now the world's top country, Mm. like even better than the United States in many ways, like in missiles, ultrasound missiles, all this stuff. Uh, Again, like I'm not a military expert, like I'm not into this, but uh, Russia has a lot lot to say against uh, U.S. plans to, for example, deploy missiles in Ukraine, for example. Well, so, yeah, India, yeah, Russia has a lot
0: to say. India, let me let me ask yeah. that question. We always say, since again, I agree with you that Russia, over the decades, has grown yeah. tremendously. Not only economically yeah. speaking, but also militarily speaking. Yeah. But I I, I want to go back to the simple question: Is when we see the troop buildup at the border between Russia and Ukraine, what message? is russia government trying to send not only to ukraine but also to the international community because again, yeah, this is not a random event this is not a, a overnight decision so this has been drawn by the russia government for so long it's just a matter of time that russia government or vladimir putin can play the card well So that's why I want to ask you this. Let's go back to the basic, simple question. What message is Vladimir Putin or the Russian government is trying to send to U.S. or to the rest of the world today?
1: Russia is trying to retake the, the position and power of the former Soviet Union as it was before 1991. Like... I discussed this matter with other experts in Ukraine. They say, "Okay, like maybe the the risk of the military invasion in Ukraine is just one of the options. We also have other options. How Russia can, like you know, play hard with uh, with the West. Like for example, they can deploy nuclear weapons in Belarus
2: hmm. or
1: even in Venezuela, for example. By the way, as if you remember, uh, Caribbean crisis, missile crisis of." Uh, uh, 1962, if you remember, when the Soviet Union deployed missiles in Cuba, mm. if you remember. So, so Soviet Union deployed nuclear weapons in Cuba. It was very close to the, the, you know, main American cities, New York, Florida. Mm, that's right. Like it's,
0: So
1: and that um, that move really made the West to step back.
2: Mm. So.
1: Uh, Actually, this uh, move to deploy uh, missiles in Cuba was a countermeasure because NATO was deploying missiles in Turkey. Mm. Turkey is very close to Russia. So there was a countermeasure of the Soviet Union to respond, Mm. to to, to deploy missiles in Cuba. So right now I predict that one of the options, apart from the risk of military invasion in Ukraine. Russia can deploy, for example, uh, uh, nuclear weapons in Venezuela, like, is as one of the options. Mm. Yeah, because right now we have a very friendly government in Venezuela. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the options. I would consider. a new pivot. Like, well, I would say that we live in in a new Cold War for for a long time already. But like, I don't know. You can. We can say that it was in 2007. Or uh, personally, I, I prefer to start counting the new Cold War in
0: 2008,
1: mm. to the start of Russian aggression against Georgia. Right. So that was 13 years ago when, yeah, Russia showed that uh, it was ready to respond tough mm. militarily by invading Georgia.
0: Any, I wanna, I wanna bring in another country coming to the picture. That would be my home country, China. We always say that given the condition before 2022, the tension between US and China, politically speaking, was indescribable. So in other words, neither of the side was willing to barge, but neither of the side was willing to cave and willing to take a step back because we all believe that you know, tit for tat. That's the universal, uh, uh, I guess, skill that we are looking for. But meanwhile, to the America today, that this strong ties or strong relationship, this coalition between China and Russia pose great threat, not only that we say militarily speaking, but also politically and also culturally speaking to the Western countries. So I want to know that from your perspective, how do you see that China is going to play the role in this tension between the U.S. and Russia today? What do you think if anything were to happen? What would China react, or how would China react to this type of a uh, uh, hypothetical conflict? In my opinion, as China understands
1: that, uh, you know, China has already become the 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 world's largest economy, mm. like the largest, uh, largest country in terms of production in terms of telecommunications, like, you know, 5g, or I heard about 6g internet. Mm. And, but at the same time, you know, China has quite limited uh, uh, coastline. And like, unfortunately, there's sometimes very unstable relations with uh, neighboring countries.
2: Mm. So my
1: point is that, unfortunately, uh, uh, or I would say that China understands that there is no other option than to uh, try to suppress the possible uh, US, you know, hostile actions. Mm. We like, You name it, like South China Sea, like Taiwan, anything. Mm. China just like sees no other options, right? Like that. The same way is Russia, by the way. Mm. Like that. Going back to the the, the uh, John McKinder and like his uh, world map. Mm. There's uh, there's no room for attempts to contain neither Russia nor China.
2: Mm.
1: And although like I would say this countries like kind of. Uh, if you listen to diplomacy of Russia or China, very peaceful rhetoric, very mm, peaceful. That's right. Like, despite despite their enormous enormous size and power of both Russia and China, the rhetoric is very peaceful all the time. Mm. Like except for the, 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 the recent recent time, when it's literally no other option. Like as we um there was a press conference of President Putin in December, when he said like, and I think he was quite honest when he was saying that, that he said something like, that we told you, like we told the West many times, please do not not meddle in Ukraine, do not deploy troops, do not deploy missiles in Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine is indeed a red line for Russia. Do not do that. But you're making us to like you know uh, to take some countermeasures against you. We do not want that. We do not need that. But you are forcing us to be more decisive. just like you know to make some steps against you. And I think that China in general feels the same way.
0: Andy, let me ask you. Do you think? Again, I am not trying to insult or I'm not trying to blame anyone. But do you think at this yeah. moment that? Joe Biden has already lost the credibility in Russia and in China. So, in other words, we tend to say U.S. has the finger in every single pie, which it shouldn't. Okay, many times sure. that it doesn't matter. We're the Secretary of the State, Tony Blinkens, wherever he travels. He always, always brings up the matters regarding China's human rights, regarding the sovereignty of Taiwan, you know, regarding all these domestic issues, which has no uh, a direct relationship or benefits to the U.S. And again, going back to what you said before, it's uh, to Ukraine and again to Russia, all these uh, uh, ongoing matters. But when we look at this general picture, U.S. has not done one single thing that really soften this issue, except for words. So so that's why I want to ask you Is Do you think at this moment that Joe Biden, his foreign policy team, or he's, you know, a, a foreign policy administration has already mm-hmm. lost the credibility and he's just buying the time until the next president or until the successor to take over, to reshape the policy towards China and Russia? Do you think that?
1: Yes, uh, I heard from many experts in Ukraine that, in general, like Joe Biden is seen as a weak leader, mm. I mean, not not only because of his age. Like to to, to all my respects to, to to the age of a person, but it just like if you look at his biography, it's like okay, he was a senator, he was a diplomat, like, uh, but he's uh, not a strong leader. Like to tell the truth, like in all regards, like, I'm not just saying just like he's very old, he's just not a kind of personality that is a good leader, a strong leader.
2: Mm.
1: Like even Trump was a much stronger leader. Like he was a much clearer narrative. Like, I'm not saying that like, I'm not, uh, that I support Trump. Like I'm just stating the facts that like, in my opinion, like even Trump was more decisive than to Biden and yeah. And by the way, this could be the the circumstance Russia want to exploit, when Russia feels. Although I would say that uh, President Putin is also not very young, hmm. but he's still younger than, than Joe Biden. Biden. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, President Biden. So Russia can take uh, take a chance and exploit this opportunity when they feel the weakness of the U.S. leadership, and. Um, yeah, uh, recently I had a talk with an American professor from from New York,
2: and mm.
1: one in a private conversation, he told me that United States is tired of losing wars. Oh, it, it was said by the American professor mm. from
2: New
1: York. Well, like if we look retrospectively throughout the twentieth century or beginning of the twenty first century, like well, yeah, I would say that there are at least some some exceptions, but. In general, uh, the U.S. military campaigns, like you name it, Korean War. I uh, you know there's, there was uh, a movie uh, about Chasing Reservoir.
0: Right. Uh,
1: uh, uh, yeah. That's uh, a failure of the U.S. military. Then Vietnam War. Yeah. Like we can call a Gulf War of 1991 a success. But like, again, Afghanistan is a failure. The Taliban came to power very quickly. And then mm, the, the, the invasion of Iraq brought no, no major success to the United States. In fact, Iraq, after Saddam Hussein, just became a source for the ISIS. Like if you remember, the, our, Iraq became the source of the ISIS, right. unfortunately, because there was complete collapse of any political power. Just uh, the country was sunk into chaos. Hmm. And out of that chaos... We saw just you know Islamic fundamentalists such as ISIS. Unfortunately, like for yeah for 17 years or so, there was there were very few military successes of the United States. Very
0: mm. few. Andy, I want I want to go back to the question. I mean, not only the question but the content. Let's bring China yeah. back into this picture again. Not too long ago, I talked to one of the renowned international journalists and he mentioned something quite interesting. He said, and I think I mentioned this before, for the following five years or even 10 years down the road, for Chinese president, the goal is to create a long-lasting legacy. Now, Mm. how do you interpret that sentence? what does that mean for the Chinese leader to create this long-lasting legacy, not only just about the One Belt, One Road initiative, you know, the Belt and Road Project, but also really strengthen this international relationship between China and the countries in Africa, China and the countries in the Middle East. And again, it seemed to be the case that China it's pinpointing its position strategically everywhere. So what is your take for 2022, and so forth, what do you think that China is trying to do, not only domestically, but also internationally?
1: I would think that the primary goal is to unite all Chinese uh, within one country that has no borders. Mm. I would put it this way. So, all ethnic Chinese must be united within one country. I mean... Uh, I try to be very discreet and diplomatic. So,
0: sure. Yeah. So do you do you see? I mean, do, do you see any... this? Do you see this personal relationship between the Chinese president with other leaders are going to uh, be elevated? I mean, the friendship are going to be elevated, or uh, or some countries are still sitting on the bench, waiting to see how China is going to play out its own pictures. What is your take on this? I
1: think I think that the, the plans of, uh, of leaving the legacy will be true. Uh, China will not allow whoever to contain China. Right. I mean, I mean the South China Sea. I mean the new Silk Road. Like by the way, there was, if you remember, there was some unrest in the Kazakhstan. Mm. If you remember, like a week ago, there right. was a very hot topic. Right. Right. There was like yeah, a very very harsh unrest in Kazakhstan, and I remember that that uh, president xi jinping announced the the one road one belt initiative in kazakhstan in 2013 on on his visit to kazakhstan he said that that china w- would like to restore the new silk road and one belt one road initiative so all in all in conclusion that uh, china will not allow forever to contain china and china will unite all ethnic chinese within one country that has no borders. Mm. I would put it this way. And, and the New Silk Road Initiative is just an instrument, and just a tool for for providing ethnic Chinese with prosperity and eliminating poverty.
0: Mm. Yeah. Andy, I, go, I know you're fairly busy. I have two more questions before letting you go. Now let's talk about Russia and China again. Belt and Road Initiative involved more than 60 countries today, especially the countries in Southeast Asia, uh, such as Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, etc. China has invested billions of billions of dollars in, into helping those countries in terms of in, infrastructure projects, you know, uh, domestic economic growth, and etc. But meanwhile a lot of people to say that the reason why for China to invest heavily in those country they're trying to create what we call energy debt or a resources debt so to you that do you think that China is actually playing a wrong game or I mean I'm sorry not a wrong game China is really trying to picture a wrong concept to those country Or China is actually genuinely, sincerely doing a favor to this country because they are the partners with China.
1: Mm, I would say that, like you know, if we were we work in the world of you know finance, like if using your terms, China does the same as International Monetary Fund, Mm. so it lends money and expects something in return. But like, if I compare China, Chinese initiative, and as you said, uh, Southeast Asia, well, uh, China does, like, if like, I just wanted to, to bring this up. So when, when Ukraine borrows money from International Monetary Fund, mm. it's just not about money. International Monetary Fund also has some political agenda, mm. political requirements. And some, so, as I said, it's not just about money. But like as far as I know in, when, when you cooperate with China and b- b- borrow money from China, it's just all about business
2: mm.
1: you just like get the money, you borrow the money and then you pay it back with interest that's it mm. as far as I know they like China never uh, accompanies uh, its money with political requirements mm. like China doesn't tell you that okay you have to be this one or like you have to stick to this ideology or you have to do this one, like human rights, all the stuff, blah, blah, blah. So it's just business. Mm. So I would say like if comparing like Chinese approach in Southeast Asia and, for example, International Monetary Fund, I would say that working with China is more preferable. Mm. I would say that. Mm. This is my personal opinion.
0: Thank you, so I
1: wouldn't, I wouldn't use this. I wouldn't use this term that, China is wrong or right. It's just about doing business. That's mm. it. nothing more.
0: And my anyway, last question again that could fall into your research is in the long run, you know 2022 so forth, how do you think that China and Russia could collaborate more effectively in order to create this harmonious and peaceful picture? for rest of the international community. Because, again, today we always talk about U.S. and China, U.S. and Russia. But right now, I think it's time to address this bilateral ties between China and Russia in a more meaningful way. So from your perspective, let's end the conversation with the last question is, how do you think that China and Russia could work more effectively in 2022 and so forth.
1: I heard from many experts in Ukraine and Russia that I heard that, well, at some point, Russia and China complement each other Mm. very harmoniously. So for example, when Russia excels um, in the field of some military, military field, right, let's put it this way. Mm. China excels in economics. China is the world's uh, you know, uh, powerhouse, uh, the, the world's biggest manufacturer of goods, like you name it, anything, like literally, <laughs> it's hard to say that something that is not made in China. Mm. So I think that Russia and uh, China complement each other mm. from when, while one country complements another militarily, another complements other economically. And I see a a harmonious coexistence here, like both military and economic, in my
0: opinion. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's always interesting to see that how each country, especially China, US, Russia, and Ukraine, and so many other countries, are going to play their cards carefully and also going to play their cards strategically for this year. So with that said, again, Andrew Timshenko, all the way from Ukrainian Institute of Politics. And he's an expert in political science and also responsible for many issues regarding sociology, geopolitics, psychology, and statistics. Andy, thank you so much for taking your time to join our show. And again, it's always, always appreciative to hear your insights and your meaningful input regarding this international community. And we pray and hope for this year that your work is going to prosper. And we love to have you back on the show again, not only just about Russia and Ukraine, but let's talk about more about the international community. Thank you, Andy.